smacking them on the head, you know, cutting them down the middle and putting them in a barrel. And he's saying, how in the world could you possibly let this happen? And just so we're all on the same page, how many of you can relate to this guy? Like maybe for you it's, it's not Babylon, obviously, but for you it's, God, if you love me, then why is my marriage year after year after year so difficult? God, if you are just, and God, if you are loving, and God, if you are fair, then why do I work for this company where I work twice as hard as the boss? Are you tracking with me? I work twice as hard as the boss, and he makes five times as much money as I do. This young prophet in this storyline is utterly confused, and he's saying, man, it just feels like fish in a barrel. He says in verse 17, he makes this statement, Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And it's kind of like a COVID reality where we're going, God, do do we kind of have a a timeline for this? Is, Is that maybe your reality for me with COVID? It's like, it's not so bad what it's happened or where it's... Uh, maybe even going, if I could just know the end point to when the hysteria would calm down, then maybe I could wrap my mind around it. But the fact that I just don't have an end date is driving me crazy. Is anyone else in that place? It's like, is this a year from now or two years from now or, or whatever that looks like? He's asking the same questions we're asking, and what's keeping him up at night is the contrast in his mind between the reality that God is good and God is faithful and that people are messed up and that God's not dealing with it on his timeline. He looks exactly like us. He can't reconcile these two realities. And now check out how he responds because I love this verse and I love how this man responds in this situation. He says this. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and my station myself on the tower. So here's what he says, you guys. He says, I'm going to stand over this thing with a helicopter view. And I am going to start formulating my opinion of everything going on. And so you've heard my case. And I think at this point in the storyline, Habakkuk is pretty proud of himself for his beautiful fishing analogy of how God is allowing Babylon to make these destructive decisions. He's saying it's like fish in a barrel. It is literally a helpless situation. And now I have made my statements to you. I have asked all my why questions. And I'm going to give you this time because you're God to speak into this situation. But this is what he says. He says, I'm going to stand at this watch post and station myself on this tower. And I'm going to look out to see what he will say. That's God to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. He does exactly what we do in dysfunctional communication. Habakkuk says, before God even finishes saying what I know God is going to say, or what I think God is going to say, I'm already going to be formulating my response to his next statement. How many of you have had some major dysfunction, don't raise your hand, in your marriage based on that principle? Or if the cornerstone and the keystone of communication is, mar- is communication is, you know, healthy listening, and then the next thing you're doing before your spouse even responds, and I know that's not you, that's just my marriage, right? But before your spouse even responds, or before your child even responds, or before your parent even responds, in your rebellious and wicked teenage years with horns growing out of your head, you already have your formulated response to the next thing your parent's going to say. Habakkuk's in that same situation. He's saying, I already know what I want to say after you say what you're going to say. But he gets a curveball because God has a different plan. Look at what God says to him. And the Lord answered me. 
He says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is saying, it's not about your timeline. It's about my timeline. I know you have cast all of these things out there and you want an answer to all of them. Now check out what God says. But because what God says next is exactly how he deals with us. This is the key verse. This is like the closer verse. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by what? The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk, I know you've got all these questions. I know that Babylon is running wild, and I know that you're utterly confused. But what I want you to know in this script is that the righteous, God's people, those that have been called apart to serve him with a pure heart, the righteous shall live by faith. And here's what he's doing. He's not answering all of the tedious questions that this young prophet has in his mind. He's just simply looking at his child, and he's making this statement that you have made if you have a teenager when they start questioning you about why they're too young to get a cell phone. Are you ready? Are you awake? He just looks at his children and his child. He says, I've got this. I know you want every tedious answer, but what you need to hear is something very simple. In the midst of the chaos, I'm just looking for you to trust me. And that must have just thrown him back. And what God isn't saying is he isn't saying I don't care. What God isn't saying is I'm not going to deal with this evil empire who's coming in and just fishing a barrel, murdering people right and left. He's going to go out and say this is what I'm going to do with these people. He's going to say I know the sins that Babylon has committed. He starts laying them out. He says I know that they're greedy. In fact, I know that they're excessively greedy. He goes further in this chapter and he says I know they use wealth to build a fortress of protection against God's people. He says, I know that they're guilty of bloodshed. And what he's saying is, I know that they don't just murder their enemies, they murder their own people. In fact, I am fully aware that this pagan people actually sacrifices their own children. Habakkuk's probably looking at the storyline and going, yes, I know that they do these things. And so what are you going to do about it? He says, I know that they deal with drunkenness. In fact, I know that they get their enemies drunk to serve their own purposes to defeat their enemy. And then lastly, he says this. He says, I know that they worship false idols. He specifically says, woe to you who has taken a wooden thing and tells it to wake up or a silent stone to rise. He says, this is just gold and silver. It's not alive. It has no breath. And so God says, in all of this, I see the destruction, I see the evil, but what I'm asking you to do as my follower, as someone who follows me no matter what, is I'm asking you to trust me. And we're going to apply these simple principles to this text, but I just want to ask you where you're at with this. In fact, I want to ask you a very specific question that I want you to write down and maybe in your life groups or your family time or whatever that looks like or maybe just your prayer time with God, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my Babylon? What is that thing that I don't quite get what's going on and I don't quite think it's fair? But I, I have this issue in my life and God isn't giving me all the answers, but he's asking me to trust him no matter what. 
Here's what I love about this story. This leader who has half the storyline and is asking God why, just like a teenager. Here's what I love about this storyline. Number one, write this down. This is your sermon buck stuff too. This is why I love this story. You can be brutally honest with God. In all of the things that's thrown out in this text, you see this back and forth. Usually when prophets speak, it's a direct word against God's people or against the nation that's trying to destroy God's people. This situation is just this back and forth, this short book of the Bible. If you blink, you miss it. It's Habakkuk complaining and God responding and Habakkuk asking more questions and God responding. And back and forth, the story goes for three chapters. And what I love about it is that it shows us 2,600 years later, you guys, that you can be brutally honest with God, that I can be brutally honest with God, and God is the greatest leader of all time. He's perfect in every way. He's holy and he's righteous and he has thick skin and he knows our heart and he absolutely allows this space, no matter the pain we're in, no matter the Babylon that we're facing, where we can be brutally honest with him. And here's why I think that's so important, and I want you to write this statement down because I think it's highly important for us to walk away with this morning. Write this down. Honesty is directly correlated to the closeness of any relationship. Think about that in your own life. Those that you can be closest to are those where you know everything you think, at least, that they're thinking, and they know everything that you're thinking. And now take that a step further and look at the destructive relationships in your life. Here's what you'll always find about a dysfunctional relationship. It might look really good, even in church work. I don't want to rock your world, but this actually happens in the local church. I know you didn't know there's any dysfunction in church, but sometimes there is. Here's what you'll find in a church, in a home, in a workplace. When I don't feel like I can tell you what I'm thinking, even if I love you and even if I respect you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep you at an arm's distance, and I'm going to say, you can only get this close to me because I don't feel comfortable enough with you to be honest with you. It could be someone you're married to for 20 or 30 years, but if you feel like here are these four or five things that we've fought about for 30 years, and if I ever bring them up, they're off limits, and it creates this wedge between us, then I'm just going to stay in this lane, and you're going to stay in that lane, and we can only be so close because every relationship, honesty is directly correlated to the closeness of any relationship in your life. And what I love about the Father is that he allows this relationship to grow with his prophet, even though his prophet is incredibly agitated where he can be brutally honest with God. I mean, he's not just kind of honest with the Lord. He is brutally honest with the God. He's saying, I feel like we are fish in a barrel and Babylon's just ringing us up and slaughtering us and I can't wrap my mind around why in all of your goodness you would allow that to happen. And I think the reason he allows this type of relationship with his child is because he knows Habakkuk's motive is pure. And so what I'm going to tell you next, I want you to walk out of this place with changed. Here's kind of the big idea that blows my mind. And I heard a pastor in Arizona say it, and I thought it was so good that I wanted to take the statement and elaborate it with it. He made this statement that I've been pondering on since Wednesday. He said this, and I want you to write it down. Habakkuk had questions for God, not accusations against God. I'm going to say that again. Habakkuk had questions for God, not accusations 
against God. And the biggest difference between those two paradigms is motive. In his heart, he honestly just wanted to know, you know, God, why is this happening? It just doesn't make sense to me. And so God is saying, I might not give you every answer you want, but I am asking you to trust me. And the second Sermon Bucks thing that I want you to write down is this, and you're going to see it on the screen here. When it comes to faith, faith does not have all the answers. In fact, anyone that tells you that faith has all the answers, I don't trust people like that. Because there's a lot of things 40 years in, I've been serving the Lord for 20 solid years and teenage years where I go, well, I kind of thought I was serving the Lord, but maybe I wasn't. Faith does not have all the answers to every tedious event in your life, but it trusts the one who has all of the answers. Faith allows this space for questioning that's healthy. Faith allows this space for questioning where you can say, God, I don't understand everything what's going on, but hear my heart. I, j- I just want to try to know why you would do things the way you're doing things. And sometimes questions are good, and sometimes questions bring growth, and sometimes questions can draw you close to God. But here's what kept me up, this, uh, up last night and then into this morning praying for this message. What kept me up was this reality that in my life, every time God answers a question that I think he wouldn't even answer, he just presents another one where I'm always playing catch-up because there's always going to be another question that I can't answer. And so he's not calling me to trust in every situation that he's going to give me every answer, but he's calling me to trust the one who gives the answer. And what gets dangerous is when we turn our questions into accusations. And so when questions go from a place of I want to know and I want to know your heart to I'm going to judge you, that's what becomes dangerous with the Lord. And that's what never happens in this storyline. Because when questions go from questions to accusations, instead of running to God, look at me, instead of running to God, you run from God. When questions go from questions to accusations, The person or the being that has the power to change everything in your life is the same person that you reject. Habakkuk breaks down how bad things are, but he says this. He says, but I will take joy in my salvation. Here is just the money statement that we're going to close with this morning. Because I I just feel like this is relevant for us in 2020. Questions say, God, I want to know you. Write it down. Do an inventory. Questions say, God, I want to know you. Accusations say, God, I want to be you. Accusations say, God, I'm putting myself on the throne in this situation. And I am not just asking questions because I want to know more. I'm making accusations that place me above you in my life. And let me just tell you very practically, just working with people and in my own life with my own sin, that doesn't go well. There is such a difference in posture between the humility of saying, I don't understand, and the arrogance of saying, God, I know more than you. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? Are we awake that in 2020, isn't that what it feels like is going on? It's not just, God, I want to understand this more. It's, God, I think I have better answers than you. That's everything that's going on in culture right now. And the last thing he says, and you can fill this in, is, I'm still on the throne. In all of the chaos, here's what I want you to see this summer, that we could take this summer series of being unsettled 
And we could just draw it out for the next five years because you see it reoccurring in major characters in the Bible, in smaller characters in the Bible, in the franchise players, in the role players. It doesn't matter if it's Abraham. It doesn't matter if it's Isaac. It doesn't matter if it's Moses. It doesn't matter if it's Rahab. It doesn't matter if it's Elijah. You see chaos over and over and over again. And it goes from book to chapter to verse and it hits repeat. And what God is saying in the midst of this mess is that I am still on the throne. He actually makes this statement in the last verse of the chapter. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Check this out. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I know that Babylon's messed up. And I know that your world is broken. But because I'm God in my perfection and my holiness, but also in my love, I'm still on the throne. And here's the gospel, you guys. Don't miss it. I'm still on the throne, but I love you so much that I'm going to take your brokenness. And it's going to take 600 years, but in my sovereignty, I've had it planned since sin entered the equation. And I am going to take my son off of the throne. And he's going to come to earth. Here's the gospel. And he is going to live a perfect life and die in your place and rise from death. And he's going to conquer it so that you can have life. That's why we took communion this morning. That I'm still on the throne, but I love you so much. I'm going to have my son get off the throne. And he is going to be making a way for you to be made right with me through his body and through his blood. Do you know Christ is Savior? Do you have questions for God or has that translated in a distant, arm's distance relationship with God where you've gone from questions to accusations and the trust level has broken down in your storyline? We look an awful lot like this guy named Habakkuk. He literally sounds like a Star Wars character, but he has the stubbornness of a Midwestern German, does he not? Where's your heart this morning with the Lord? Is it in a place of surrender or is it in a place of rebellion? Christ has gotten off the throne, forgiven you of your sins if you put your trust in him and is open and willing to transform your heart. But look at me. Look at me. God is in charge. God writes the script. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we have so many questions for you in the midst of the time that we live in. But they're questions, Lord. Our heart is humble as a church. We don't want to move from a position of questions to a place of accusations. We want to worship you as God. We don't want to put ourselves on the throne. And so as people walk into this space or listen online this morning, they come at you with all sorts of scenarios. And the whys are so multiple that, 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 that literally they could fill up this entire sanctuary if they're written down. But you're saying to us the same thing you said to your prophet. What I'm asking you to do in the midst of this Babylon is I'm asking you to trust me. Trust me with your marriage. Trust me with your job. Trust me with your core relationships. Trust me with your kids. Trust me with your family. Trust me with this nation. Trust me with the dysfunctions that are taking place all around you and the social media that's lighting up like a Christmas tree. I'm asking you as my child to trust me. To 
draw close to me, to not compete with me, but to get off the throne and place me on it. Jesus, have your way in this place. Have your way with your people. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.